I get it. But you get put onto a bus at 18 and drive by a group of people who you thought that you liked. And then they all flick you off for no discernible reason. And for some reason, they're all wearing jean shorts. Not even that you're upset about it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you'll hate them too at some point. Welcome to Chapel Hill, Stats Focus podcast about UJ football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And we are here after a short reprieve, mine in the mountains and yours away as Han Solo to Galaxy Far, Far Away, I assume. But we are back in the midst of hate week, trying to get this episode out a little bit early so we can get your hate train rolling real strong. Headed I hope it's already rolling. It should be rolling. Absolutely. It's a, it's more of a hate fortnight. The hate, the hate fortnight started with the Kentucky episode. And now you should be choo-chooing your way straight into Jacksonville this weekend. So tell us a little bit about what you did with your, your weekend there, Nathan, with your non-football time. Um, How did you well, fill it with football? So we went to the Wild Rumpus, and I dressed up like Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And it was the culmination of several, I don't know, several beautiful uh, dreams of my life, which was to dress up like Han Solo, and then also to have... My wife look like she hates me as Princess Leia, which is just <laughs> our energy. So it's just so powerfully our energy normally. So it was just really great to have life imitate art, imitate life kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that was really, really, really beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I did some adult things that adults do when downtown. And then yeah, moving on. It was really fun. <laughs> I'm going to probably, I, I'm, I think that they might do red coat rehearsal inside because of the rain and there's supposed to be thunderstorms on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about still wearing my Han Solo outfit. Well, you did promise me after a couple of buckets of Miller High Lifes that you would be still wearing your Han Solo outfit until the day you died. So I, I might hope wear you're wearing it at least Thursday. Like, yeah, I, I might wear it to Florida. There's there's like a hundred percent like a chance that that happens. I like it. Um. Over my weekend, I, I spent a, a, a longer weekend up in the mountains just getting away from Athens for a little bit, uh, and we debated whether or not we would bring our six-month-old puppy dog, Pepper, and so we eventually brought her, thinking the stress of leaving her was too great to leave her. Uh, that was wrong. Our dog got into rat poison. She is fine, uh, but you know the there was apparently rat poison in the closet of the cabin we were staying in, and Pepper thought they were the most delicious forbidden fruit that she needed to eat right away, so... We learned all about poison antidotes and what you do in that moment, but we called poison control and got right. Pepper some vitamin K, which she is now eating twice a day for the next 30 days to like bind to the agents that this poison puts in her. So craziest parent moment I've ever had <laughs> was that moment of what the hell do we do? Um, but she's already back to her normal self, so... That was my white weekend, hmm. and I'm still kind of reeling from it, I feel, in a little a little bit. Like, just generally tired. We did get away to the Rumpus with you and got to be uh, Kuzco and Izmay, which we had wanted to do for a long time. And here we are. Here we are on the other side, right in the midst of hate week. So I'm glad that that, that weekend is over, but I'm glad it happened also. Not the poison part, but everything else. Yeah, <clears> I mean, I'm glad that your dog survived me so too that's a good start <laughs> i haven't made, found a good it, way to tell that story yet because i can either start it with uh-huh. pepper's okay and then people are like what or i can start saying pepper ate poison and then i have to say pepper's okay so there's no good way to tell the story 
but she's okay. What if you did like peppers alive? Like maybe she's a lich now. <laughs> I could I could say peppers alive with a wink and like a nudge, and people are like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say no more. Or I can do like say a no Frankenstein more, my, moment because it's very Halloween, and I can say peppers alive, and then you know, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how's that? Did that work? Yeah, no, I like it. I I could also see like you and Pepper do the like putting on the Ritz thing, and she's like. <laughs> <laughs> This is grade A quality podcast about football. You're fucking right it is. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about football then a little bit. Let's talk about some subjective narratives and some talking points that are being thrown about about this Georgia-Florida uh, weekend. Um, bandied so- even. Even bandied about, you might say. Oh, yeah. Easily. So few big things that have happened. Our O-line is back at full strength. So, so we think. Yeah. Which is really exciting. With Isaiah, Isaiah Wilson is cleared, he is uh, back in the mix, and now Cade Mays and Ben Cleveland are. I read somewhere that they are the strongest rotation in the nation, and that was one of my. I really enjoy the alliteration one, but also just feels good. Just feels good to have them both ready and and ready to play. But yeah. how do you feel this offensive line is going to handle? I'm, you know, I think that. Florida has some very good players on the edge. Zuniga is a very good player, mm-hmm. uh, a very good outside linebacker. I feel like their defensive line is good, uh, but maybe not quite as good as their outside uh, their outside players. Um, you know, I think that we should have success against anyone just from a talent's perspective with this offensive line. My understanding is, having heard a couple of places that Maybe like Ben Cleveland might have been banged up the last few weeks, and that mm-hmm. was part of the weirdness with the rotation, and including Cade Mays and just people moving around all the time. So that'll be really nice. I think Cade Mays is probably like uh, is a very good player, but may not be ready to be like a full time player right now. His his sophomore year, so I think his best use is in that six man role. Um, and so yeah, I mean, I I think if you're worried about anything this weekend, it shouldn't be the offensive line. Now it might be. The formations in which the offensive line is deployed or the decisions made with what to do with those line. But in terms of like pieces on the field, yeah, I, you got to think it's one of the better rotations in the nation for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing being thrown around is a lot of people are talking about like they're trying to force Kirby into the hot seat, which is a really funny thing. Like how, you know, you and I talk about how spoiled our fan base is now and how, you know, what, what Mark Richt was able to get away with is no longer acceptable. Um, and I say, this is an audio medium, so you can't see my quotes. Get away with is what I quoted around. Um, a 10-2 and two season and a 10-2 and two football program should be more than acceptable for anybody. But we have become spoiled with this. And an 11-1 season is not anything that we, it seems unacceptable. And so people are almost forcing Kirby and James Coley into this hot seat. And so where do you stand on any of that, um, trying to push blame in any one sort of direction? Uh, I mean... I don't know. I don't know that I've seen that he's on the quote unquote hot seat, but I get what you're saying where they're kind of there's some weird leading questions about the results of this game and what it matters to Kirby's tenure as a whole. And I mean, you know, I don't really think this game is the problem either way. I think that two weeks into the season, you could have said, well, this is probably going to be a better game than we thought. Right. But yeah, I think the real the real concern is just like, what does the South Carolina tell us tell us, you know, this loss, if we lose this weekend, this loss will get the more press but 
you know, the problem with your two loss season when you lose to South Carolina and Florida is the loss to South Carolina, not the loss to Florida. Yeah. So uh, from that sense, from that sense, I think that the, the a lot of the angst and I've had some amount of angst myself. I think a lot of the angst is misdirected, you know, in terms of I mean, Kirby's not on the hot seat. That's just not no, that's no. not true. That's going to we're, we're talking about two or three more years of like abject disappointment where that's going to be the case. And even then, I mean, look, I, I the Kirby is for better or worse tied directly to Greg McGarrity's, you know, tenure at this university. And he is not getting fired while Greg McGarrity is here. No. I mean, short of some kind of awful off field scandal, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way he's getting fired. He's just not. I mean, it, ha- it would have things would have to go really downhill to even start talking about it. Um, Hmm. I mean, in terms of like, is Coley on the hot seat? Like, ah, shit, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, you got to ask Kirby. I mean, Kirby seems to be bound and determined to be pretty stubborn about this thing. And mm-hmm. whether or not that's just Kirby being like a salty old cuss, which I respect about him, or it's just his inability to evolve on offense, I can't say. I think that anyone who thinks that they know if anyone is on the hot seat is really kidding themselves at this point in the year. I think Kirby definitely cares about what the offense looks like. And I think if you could put him on true service, that he would say that he's dissatisfied with it. You know, but even when I mean, you'll notice that even when Kirby was openly angry at James Coley in uh, last year or not James Coley, uh, Jim Chaney last year, he was still outwardly supporting him. Even when he was screaming into his headset about the fourth down call from the goal line against Florida last year, Mm. he was still openly supporting him and he never even really fired him. The question is whether or not he chased him away, right? And so the question, or if he, you know, just let him go. So the question is, like, if James Coley gets another job next year and moves, what does that mean? Was he on the hot seat? Like, I don't know. It's, it kind of seems asinine. Yeah. Will James Coley be back next year? I I don't know. It doesn't feel, it feels probably more likely than not just because Kirby's that kind of, kind of a stick to his man kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, it wouldn't shock me if he was or wasn't, but I don't think that decision's been made as yeah. of right now. Um. Anything else that you got in terms of like narratives coming in? Uh, is there any other way for us to not win this game and have a successful season? I mean, objectively, yes, right? This is a subjective uh, narrative, of course. Objectively, there is a hundred. It's hard because objectively, yes, you can have a successful season. If you lose this game to Florida, but you still somehow back ass your way into the SEC championship and then you get and then you win, you're probably not going to the college football playoff, but you actually very could you very well could go I mean, you'd ruin someone's season and it'd be hard to say that it was a mistake if you beat like Alabama or LSU. You know, or to say it was unsuccessful. But if we win this if we lose this game, I don't think that most fans are gonna say it's possible for us to have a successful season. No. Yeah. Now whether or not I think it's successful is neither here nor there. But if we do you have any subjective narratives or talking points you want to throw in there before we actually talk about some stats? Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing to me is that there seems to be sort of a weird counter narrative with the Kirby stuff to from the Florida side, which is that, you know, can can Grantham especially and then also Mullen get the Georgia slash Kirby smart monkey off their back? Grantham, you know, since he has left Georgia, Grantham has been very successful against pretty much everyone except for Georgia. He got torn up by Georgia in the, well, I think, Belk Bowl a few years ago in mm-hmm. the, the game that Mark Rick didn't coach in. And then he's gotten pretty consistently burnt by Georgia at Florida and just hasn't had a lot of success. Since uh, Similarly, I think that 
Mullen is currently 0-3 against Kirby Smart's coach teams, and he's been shut out twice. And last time, but before he was at Florida, the last time that he played uh, UGA was one of Mississippi State's better teams ever, and he lost 30 to nothing. So, I mean, I think that that is also a narrative coming into this game is how well Mullen can plan against this uh, the defense. I, I, you know, coming into this year before we started to have like a sort of existential crisis about what it meant to have Kirby Smart coach our team, there was a feeling that, you know, the two things that Saban, the Saban disciples had figured out was A, if you have the talent, they can pretty much stop Gus Malzahn's offense. And B, if they have the talent, they have kind of figured out Dan Mullen's offense. Now, whether or not that's true, that was sort of the perception coming into the year. And I think that it's this game for, I think, stupid reasons is going to become a very a, a weird high water test for whether or not that's true. Let's talk about a little bit of Winsipedia. Yeah, hit me. Winsipedia. Let's do it. Because this is the best. This is the best part of the Florida rivalry. The best part of the Florida rivalry is that so much of their that the just house of cards that they have erected <laughs> for themselves in North Florida as they're living in North Florida isn't punishment enough is that is that <laughs> just a cursory a cursory brush with the truth is all it takes to to make it all come tumbling down as though such an august academic reputation could produce students who had such a vacuous tenuous facile relationship to the truth all right hit me with wicked uh, wincipedia please that was beautifully eloquent and all i got to say is it's not called georgia man that's it <clears throat> yeah that's that's real so stats so something that kirby actually said in the most recent press conference that i really enjoyed was he took almost offense to the idea of rivalries and the reason why he said that is because each game is important is what he explained and that every game is a rivalry no matter who it is it's a rivalry because if you discount other games by not calling them rivalries you discount them entirely and you have situations like the south carolina situation Um, he didn't say that entirely but he said that in as many words but if there is anything that is a rivalry, this is one of those things. This is a game that has a, a long, long history. Uh, 51 wins for Georgia, two ties, 43 wins for uh, Florida. Georgia has the last two wins, of course. This is Dan Mullen's second year, and we're trying to see what happens with that. So the largest margin of victory for Georgia was 75-0 to in 1942. Longest win streak is 7 from 41 to 48. Largest margin of victory for Florida is 47 to 7. Uh, longest win streak for Florida as well is 7 in a row. And then you go down to all the remaining stats, and it's pretty evenly stacked for the most part. And something that I saw a lot of over the weekend looking at Twitter and, and kind of uh, wading through the Georgia-Florida mess was that a lot of people were trying to say like, hey, how many championships do you have? How many more championships do you need? You know, once you win a few championships, come back and talk to us. And what's really interesting about that is I, I know that during the Tim Tebow era, Florida was a lot more impressive, but a lot of what you talked about last weekend was that, you know, Florida fans try to forget everything else other than that short era more than a decade ago. And so they have three national championships to Georgia's two. And while that is more, that's not infinitely more impressive or anything to brag about or to take home to try and say this dynasty or this program is so much better than this other one, which is, you know, it's, it's a little bit ridiculous is all. I mean, and, and, Florida has two national titles. Uh, they have three claimed national titles, but I don't really know to what extent that third one is real. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same starts. reason why you would look at the, the Georgia one. There's one where it's not as you have some, well, some yeah, say against it. Yeah, yeah, the second one, like 1942, is kind mm-hmm. of questionable, but whatever. Yeah. 
Same thing in the Florida one. But it, all that to say is that it's not like Alabama fans looking at Georgia and saying like, oh, that's cute. It's not the same thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not. They think that they are. They think that they are Florida or Florida yeah. thinks that they are Alabama to some extent. And, you know, for a moment there, it looked like that they would be. But then Urban Meyer was Urban Meyer. And can we just like now stop start talking crap about Urban Meyer? Because like back when he had a fake heart attack and left Florida for just reasons, I guess we yeah. all had to act like he was like a normal rational person i yeah. had to feel bad for him because he worked himself half to death and it's like mm-hmm. no i don't feel bad for him he aided and abetted an abuser that's not cool and just for the record if what i just said makes you want to stop listening to our podcast then fucking unsubscribe there's the door <laughs> let me think oh yeah so in terms of in terms of like kirby smart saying that there's no such thing as a rivalry i would like to just you know we, we've talked about maybe trying to intersperse some cbc questions Mm-hmm. Uh, into the actual script a little bit more. And there's one that I want to point us to that came in late from Dog Stats, which uh, which would be my response to Kirby Smart saying that, you know, one rivalry is not more than any other game, which is what does uh, FTFM stand for? Which if you are, and I'm going to say it, and maybe we can click before this so we can actually, um, we can actually edit this part out, but uh, it's, actually it's Florida. this part out. It's Florida weekend. Yeah, it's Florida. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Hold on. Let's, you before get we get into this. Before we get into this, well, I'm going to cuss a lot on this episode, and like we'll probably, <laughs> like I, I, I'm even going to say that like we should probably have Justin just go at the front and be like, "Hey, there's cursing in this one. If you don't want to listen there's to a it, lot. stop listening." Uh, yeah, there's even other questions too from like Jonathan Ashley that said, "Can we get an uncensored Nathan Florida rant?" And I think somebody else said something along those lines as well. So interspersing questions into the show. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ATA, ATA actually replied to that. The trombone uh, Twitter account replied with, "Or else." Because they say UGA or else um, when they're chanting the stands. But so FTMF. FTFM was FTMF was something that Kirby Smart said, I think after his first win against Dan Mullen at Florida, which was fuck those motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And there's a very, very good uh, gif floating around the Internet of Kirby Smart having just beat Florida, walking onto the field and saying that. And it's just, just punching really the air. Yeah, yeah, punching the air, and it's just really beautiful because like Kirby Smart hates Florida. It is not it is not a secret that Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen do not like each other. Watch their handshake before and after the game. It is the most cursory sort of like, oh bless your heart handshake in the world. These mm-hmm. these two do not like each other. Kirby Smart played at Georgia at a time when Georgia was losing to Florida a lot. He could say all he wants that you want to treat each game with the same process, and I think that's true. But to act like that there's not some extra juice in this game is stupid. Because there is. There is for everybody. And like the Winsipedia numbers show you that this is a relatively even series, even though Georgia is still up by eight, I would point out. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think part of the problem with this, not problem, but part of what gives this series its juice is not really the result. It's how much, and it's hard to explain if you've never been to the Florida Georgia game, but the visceral hatred that comes for both sides at every single level of this game from the like hot dog salesman. to like you know the dudes in the suits in there in the luxury suites to the random sidewalk fans these two groups of people genuinely don't understand the way the other are the way the other are on a really deep level and that sort of like lack of cognitive understanding like these two like florida fans and georgia fans the deep problem is that they cannot fit each other into their schema there's so much that every florida fan will do or not every but the average florida fan will do that just every Georgia fan is like, I don't even, I don't get what, what are you doing? And the exact <laughs> same thing is true of Georgia fans and, and when, when viewed by Florida fans. And so that leads to you, that leads to some hatred. That is like, that is a real thing in this rivalry. And I, 
I don't know why it is. And maybe if I were a more enlightened person, I could be like, well, I just was exposed to that the first time and I didn't know better and I should just move past it. But I can't because fuck them. <laughs> um, and yeah, I know that it's like irrational and I know good and well that these two ki- that these two universities and these two fan bases have more in common than they have a- than they have different. And that's fine. And I get that like the up his own ass intellectual with his fucking, you know, subscription to goddamn jacobin wants to tell me about how these are this is just like all a metaphor for war and how jacobin is a uh like neo-marxist well it's a socialist magazine it's actually pretty good i I used to have a subscription to jacobin it doesn't matter (laughs) but anyway as i was saying um you know i understand how like these like sort of neo-intellectuals like to look down at football and say and like point out to us like oh can't you say it's just the same this is just a game i fucking get it i get it but you get put onto a bus at 18 and drive by a group of people who you thought that you liked and then they all flick you off for no discernible reason and for some reason they're all wearing jean shorts not even that you're upset about it it just doesn't make sense yeah you'll hate them too at some point like you're better than this fuck (laughs) anyway so for a moment, I'm gonna I'm gonna cool you off and hop into some uh, yeah some cold cold. Let's stats. do some stats. We haven't even we haven't even got we haven't even gotten to the point in the in the where I'm like really ranting. That was just yeah, that's like nothing. Me, yeah. per, that was peripheral ranting. It was more about so, people who read Jacobin. My brother. <laughs> um, I, Tell us about I these bought stats, the Jacobin though, subscription. Okay, did stats. you? So was it a birthday present? Hold on. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a, it was a Christmas present. Um, I love it. Okay. Jacobin, Jacobin writes good stuff. Anyway, um, so if you know, one of the really hard things about predicting this game is that even though we talk constantly about recency bias and about sample size bias, I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but for me at least, there's, I, I have a palpable feeling that I'm underrating this Georgia team because the aesthetics of what they've done over the past two games are bad, and that's just what it is, right? And 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 there's no way to take the bad taste out of your mouth of the South Carolina game when you're thinking about this team the problem is if you look at the stats really the stats love georgia and we were saying before the show started recording like yeah we all love georgia but the stats like they really do georgia yeah Yeah, the stats really like georgia in this game and so it doesn't i mean it doesn't really make it's 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 a very tough it's a tough ask for anybody to go against what their eyes saw which is that georgia just looked straight up inept on offense but if you look at what these two teams have done over this over the season, like there's really not a lot where there's not a lot of places where Florida is better than Georgia, like across a seven game sample. So it's really hard for me. I don't know, man. It's just been really hard for me to figure out what the hell is going on with this game because like, I speculated I so much. Yeah. What we did on, I hated what we did on offense so much that it was like really hard for me to figure out like what to say about this game right because if you just if we i mean i think what i'm gonna do is what i always do and just like you know play this down the middle and read the stats and tell you what i think so you can't even really look at i mean you don't even have to look at our stats for this you can look at a much more respected name in spats if we look at smp plus one of the things that's like really bizarre is that smp plus really still likes georgia quite a bit and so it's really confusing i it's really confusing to me when I think about this game. I think this is a close game. And my initial take is like, yeah, kind of leaning towards thinking that Florida probably has the edge here. Right. And, and just, just aesthetically what they're doing, coming back with Kyle Trask, the narrative tells you that Florida is going to win this game. And, and I, and I'm pretty 
crappy about like I, I'm pretty good at shitting on narrative, but like even I kind of fell prey to that where I'm just like, oh man, just just doesn't feel like the doesn't feel like the year for Georgia. But like at this moment, Georgia is ranked sixth in S and P plus. Florida is ranked thirteenth. This is a seven point game per S and P plus, right? Yeah. Because for all of for all of the the ringing of hands, and trust me, I've been the one ringing hands the most more than almost anyone that I know about Georgia's offense. They are still ranked the eleventh ranked offense. Per S and P plus, yep. S and P plus also has Georgia at the fourth ranked defense. Comparatively, it has Florida nineteenth ranked on offense and seventeenth on defense. So that's what's crazy to me is like S and P plus still likes Georgia more than Florida offensively, right? And so, and if we look at the actual advanced statistics, it's actually pretty easy to see why that's true. When Georgia has the ball, Georgia is currently the fifth ranked offense per success rate. Georgia is currently the fifth ranked offense for pass success rate. And the seventh ranked offense per rush success rate. Not very good at explosive plays. But other than that, I mean, other than that, very good. And even their explosive play numbers are above average. 22nd overall in explosive play rate, 64th in passing explosive rate, and 13th in rushing explosive rate. So even that, even even the times when they are not great, like uh, 45th in scoring opportunity drives inside of the, uh, of the opponent's uh, 40, um, the percentage of like, how often do you score TD, t, uh, touchdown when you possess the ball within inside of your opponent's 40? Even that is 45th, which is well above the national average. So, I, you know, for all of the gnashing of teeth, those two games are only two points in the sample. And even though the previous games came against worse defenses, they still happened. So, like, is this a team? Is this a Georgia team that can't catch a, pa- can't catch a ball and can't throw a pass and can't get anything going up the middle? It's it's ultimately unlikely. I mean, and I wrote five thousand words about how pissed off I was about the way we were running the offense. But at the end of the day, like that's not. It's clearly not an un, un It's not a problem that can't be fixed, right? And if you look mm-hmm. at like, okay, so like let's take it when Georgia has the ball. There yeah. are really not many areas where Georgia has the ball where they are outranked by what Florida can do. So mm-hmm. when Georgia has the ball, they are better at success rate. They are better at success rate rushing. They're better at success rate passing. They are better at yards per carry passing. They're better at yards per uh, attempt rushing. They are better at yards per play. They have a higher explosiveness rate. They have a higher red zone TD percentage. They have a higher, they they give up a, a lower stuff rate than Florida allows. They give up a lower havoc rate than Florida causes. Florida is really good at uh, causing havoc rate on defense, 13th in the nation. But Georgia is the fourth-ranked offense in preventing havoc rate on the nation. We just do not give up a lot of havoc plays. Period. Right. Furthermore, like when you get when you drill down into it, Georgia is the 22nd most explosive offense in the nation. Florida is surrendering explosive plays at the 73rd rank in the nation. Georgia is the 64th-ranked. One of the few where, uh, places where Florida has an advantage on defense is in surrendering passive uh, explosive passing plays. Uh, they've only they are the 56th ranked explosive passing defense in the nation, and Georgia is the 84th ranked explosive passing offense. Shocking, but you know it, when it comes to rushing, Georgia is the 13th most explosive rushing offense, and Florida is the 94th um, rushing explosive rate defense. Georgia is the 45th scoring opportunity uh, touchdown percentage. And Florida is the ninth. So one of the few advantages, that the, like the two big statistical advantages that Florida has when Georgia has the ball is that they don't give up points with inside of the, when they let people inside of the, their own 40 and they don't give up explosive passing plays. Right. Similarly, you know, Florida is Georgia is better on first down. 
than Florida is defensively. Georgia is better on second down than Florida is defensively. Georgia is better on third down than Florida is defensively. The only down that Florida has the advantage defensively is is uh, fourth, but that also has that has a lot to do with small sample size because Georgia is very conservative on offense and hasn't gone for it very many times. Has a great success but, I mean, rate as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know, man. It's it's really hard to say. It's hard for me. It's hard for me for me to get a read on this, especially when Georgia has the ball, because ultimately, like this is the kind of game where, like, okay, Florida is really good at preventing explosive pass plays. They're very good at just defending the pass in general. Right, their uh, their yardage stats on yards per attempt. They're thirty seventh in the nation in uh, passing yards per attempt on defense. They are a pretty explosive offense. They play are explosive defense. They cause a lot of havoc. Great, but at the end of the day, like Georgia should be able to run the ball on these guys. Like, and that and that's what's weird, and that's what I hate to say because like I don't want us to run the ball up the middle three times and then punt because that pisses me off. And I want us yeah. to be able to handle like nine guys in the box, and I want us to get inventive about it, but. I mean, at the end of the day, it actually makes sense to run the ball on these guys because if you can pass or run the ball on first down, and, and I think Dog Stats was talking about this this week, he had a pretty good article about this. Like, Georgia is really good at passing and really good at running on first down, and Florida has not been good at defending on first down. So it just is like kind of makes sense. Like, you just want to run the ball on these guys, and when we have the when we have the ball, like we should have success running. And so, like that, I think is that sort of like tone of disbelief is sort of a microcosm for how i feel about this game all the way through which is that my heart which has been scarred and hurts a lot by this team is telling me one thing but the numbers are telling me the other and every time that happens i go with the numbers because my heart is stupid so you know <laughs> when florida has the ball on offense and georgia's on defense some some really in, some in, really interesting things going on here too so Florida yards per play, they're 39th. They're 37th in yards per attempt passing. They are uh, 70th in yards per carry running. You'll recall in their biggest win of the year against Auburn, they basically had one big running play that was explosive and then kind of were stymied the rest of the game. That's been sort of the story for them most of the time. Explosiveness rate overall, they are uh, 104th in the nation. UGA is 15th in preventing explosiveness rate. Red zone TD percentage, they're 23rd in the nation. Pretty good. UJ is first in that particular metric uh, in terms of surrendering red zone TVs. Um, stuff rate, they're pretty e- pretty even. Uh, Florida is 65th at allowing uh, plays to be stuffed behind or at the line of scrimmage. And Georgia is 70th at causing plays to be stuffed at or behind line of scrimmage. Havoc rate, uh, Georgia is 71st in the nation at causing it. And weirdly enough, Florida is 95th in the nation at allowing it. One of the few times this year where we'll be playing a team where we actually should get some havoc rate against them because they've been pretty bad at it. Um, and I don't know if that has to do with just Kyle Trask doesn't want to make a mistake. So he takes sacks sometimes, which I've noticed. Or if it has to do with like, I, I don't know. I don't know where, where that comes from. Probably passes defense too. But so, you know, off the front, if we took the, if we, um, I have some pretty cool images that I've been getting from SB Nation and really good guys, all the guys over there who's doing all these work, all this awesome work. But if you look at these images and you replace the Georgia logo and the Florida logo with like team A and team B, you would be like, okay, team A has got to have a pretty, pretty steady advantage all the way across the board here. And if we get into explosiveness, actually it's even worse for Florida. Florida has not been a very explosive offense on the nation or on, on the day or on the year. Um, they are the 104th uh, explosive um, play rate offense in the nation. And Georgia is 15th at surrendering explosive plays. Similarly, they are 62nd in passing explosive plays and 117th in rushing explosive plays. Oof. 
yeah, in those two metrics, Georgia is 13th at surrendering passing explosive plays and 24th at, exp- at surrendering rushing explosive plays. Georgia is the first uh, first defense in the nation at surrendering TDs within their own 40, and Florida is about the 34th offense at converting within uh, within that range. You know, similarly, first, second, and third, first, second, third, and fourth down, Georgia pretty much has an advantage by down all the way across the board. So it's it's weird because I. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to square what I feel in my heart with what these numbers tell me, right? And so part yeah. of the problem, I think, is that Florida has done better than expected after they've left, after they lost Felipe Franks. They have still yeah. not been as good as you would think that means, right? So I think, I think part of the problem we have is like this like low bar fallacy kind of thing where it's like we have set the frame of reference. It's almost like a no true Scotsman, like moving the goalpost kind of thing where it's like we've so mo- we've so messed up the frame of reference for what successful is. Right. Because mm-hmm. like when you when you have your when you have your starting quarterback go down it, like in such a painful, jarring way, the way Felipe Franks did, then our expectation is like, oh, their season is over. So anything they do to prove that their season is not over, which it certainly isn't, makes us think yeah. that the person who came in after it is better than he is. And I think Trask is pretty good, but the numbers overall for this offense do not tell you this is like a world beater of an offense. It's a good offense, right? No. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's, a, it's a good it's offense. It's a more than decent offense. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, the 41st in success rate overall, 13th in pass success rate, and 103rd in rush success rate. Just saying, they probably shouldn't be running that much on us. You know, this is this is a team that I think we kind of have warped thoughts about because of the way that the narrative of the season has gone. Right, because if you think about the narratives of these two teams, they couldn't be more divergent. Everybody expected Florida to be down and out, and they were the underdog, and they lost their first string quarterback, and they had a guy come in who had not who hadn't started a game since he was a freshman in high school, blah, blah, blah. And he does better than we expect because our expectations are wrong, right? I mean, he was a highly rated recruit. He was a good player. And then he, when he comes in and does better than we expect, even though our expectations are wrong, we don't reset what we think about him. So every time he does something well, then that then we're surprised and i think similarly every time this florida team does something well we are then surprised when really they're just about as good as we thought they were which is a i don't know top 10 top 15 team but not a top 14 right similarly georgia has the opposite problem where they were expected to be a top three team the whole season long they lost a game they shouldn't and they looked kind of bad in half of the game that they won and now all we can focus on is the bad things which is like, that's fine. That's not a complaint. Like we should be critical. But at the same time, I think we, there's an expectations problem where it's like we if if you come into an analysis of Georgia only thinking about how they are going beneath what your expectations for them are, then you're not going to think about the rest of the data that you have that tells you that they can meet those expectations. Right. In many ways, the first five games of the season, pretty much Georgia met every expectation that we had for them. Right. That's why the South Carolina loss was so jarring. So I, I I think see, these stats, they kind of tell me that like until proven otherwise, you know, unless we lose to Florida or we get embarrassed by Texas A&M or something, we should still be looking at these stats and saying, this is a really good team. And it's maybe even a really good offensive team, right? And and I've been, I, I don't know if this is a good offensive play calling co- coaching staff, but I do think that talent wise and production wise that it's hard to look at these stats and these rankings and say like, you know, this team sucks at offense because they just objectively don't that. I mean, that, that is just what it is. You know, I mean, so like on the year, Kyle Trask, 13, uh, uh, 1,391 yards, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, 80.3 QBR. Very good. He's ninth overall in QBR in the nation, right? Comparatively speaking, if we look at Jake Fromm, 
1,400 yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, 73.5 QBR. 24th in the nation. So yeah, Kyle Trask is having a better year than Jake Fromm by just sort of the surface level metrics. A lot of that is thrown off by the last two games, but like still, it is what it is. And I think because Kyle Trask in that sense has overachieved, it's led us to think that this offense is like Ohio State, which it really, really, really is not. So I don't know. I mean, I that that, that my biggest stats takeaway is that these stats are gonna if you if you're looking to like be disappointed by UGA and you want me to tell you that you know we suck and that we're not good and that we're just gonna get blown out and like our season's gonna come crashing down this weekend, all of that could happen. But there's nothing in these stats that says that it will. Yeah, I mean, I, it, the the stats say this is gonna be a close game decided by you know seven points or so. That you know that Georgia probably has more talent and should win, which I think is was what we thought at the beginning of the year. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think when we enter the analysis phase of this podcast, we need to keep in mind that just because we feel something to be true doesn't make it true. And and I really wish like I could just get that tattooed on my forearm and just show it to people. <laughs> um, I will say looking through these stats, these stats actually helped me a lot because I was sitting here kind of like my hands in the air, like I was uh, Sunday morning at church praising the words that are coming out of your mouth, talking about how the last two games have really, really shaken me up and kind of confused me and kind of pushed me in one direction. And I'm not sure how to get back to that feeling of, man, Georgia's doing everything right and they're exactly the team we wanted them to be. And then looking at these stats, though, I am just kind of surprised. Like I, I, It's like the veil was uncovered from my eyes and I realized that I was being affected by recency bias and the eye test. And it is really difficult, like you said, to overcome that eye test, especially since the last two games have looked so strange, have looked so out of character, yeah, I mean, but outliers yeah, exist. And, and, yeah. And the thing, the thing that you said, like Georgia might not be as good as we thought. Georgia isn't performing as well as they shouldn't be. That That is not a mutually exclusive conclusion to the idea that Georgia is a good team. Like, okay, yeah. for the record, like LSU is the current darling of college football and for good reason they have a beautiful offense they have a, a heisman front runner quarterback denver thought i saw that would say that about joe burrow but there it is mm-hmm. they have a <laughs> they have a punishing run game their defense is coming around they got stars all around everybody loves lsu shit there are times when i love lsu what are you gonna do mm-hmm. but that lsu team watch. is yeah. th- that lsu team by by raw smp plus ranking is only ranked two points ahead of georgia currently do you know what i'm saying like like mm-hmm. the difference between or let me let me give you an even starker example Right now, by raw S&P Plus, Georgia is 27.5, Florida, uh, Alabama is 34.1, um, Ohio State is 35.3. So Georgia is about like eight-ish points off the best team in the nation. Okay, you with me? Mm-hmm. The difference between Georgia and Alabama per S&P Plus is the same as the difference between Georgia and Florida per S&P Plus. So in your head, visualize what a game of Georgia playing Alabama right now would be like. It probably is not a positive outcome. So if we ch- if we switch those same if we switch those names around with the same ratings difference, and we talk about Georgia and Florida, why are we not thinking a similar thing? Well, it's because that we have all allowed ourselves to be poisoned by the narrative. Again, I'm not saying that Georgia is automatically going to win, but I think the idea that we're going to go down there and just like futz around and suck, maybe. But there's not a lot of data that tells us that that is, that that has to happen. Right. If Georgia loses yep. this game, it's going to be because probably because of bad coaching and stupid mistakes. It's not be, going to be because Georgia was like secretly bad. And actually, the most frustrating, the thing you think you should be frustrated about with this team, if, if anything, is not that Georgia is secretly bad. It's that they secretly aren't. 
right? If Georgia is secretly great and we still lose two two games, then that's actually worse than if we were secretly bad the whole time through. And before we even move on any further, I just want to point out one more time because I think this is is really worth pointing out is like the Georgia we saw during the first, what, six games of the season was a team that was super successful on first and second down and didn't seem to even need third down. Like it was a team that was just getting what it needed every single time that it needed it. And looking at these stats and looking at the defense, the defense for Florida, I'm really, really surprised by the, the rankings I see by like Florida against uh, successful teams, like their success rates defensively being 30th ranked success rate, 41st pass success and 27th rush success. Like that's not bad. That's nothing to like turn your nose up against, but it is bad when, the point of reference is Georgia's five, five, and seven against those ratings. Like I am really, really surprised yeah, by see, that number. And, and and this is the thing. This is the thing. If you think that the first five games are can be explained away by the fact that the first five teams that we played were worse than we thought, that is not consistent. Like you cannot think that that is true and yet still bash Georgia for losing to a South Carolina team that got whipped by Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? Because like mm-hmm. your sort of like inverse r- rule of the inverse like equation doesn't doesn't work out if you apply it equally over all seven games. What's probably true about Georgia is they had a really bad game at, where a combination of bad coaching, bad mistakes, and bad luck led to a black swan outcome. Does that make Georgia good or great? No. But what it means is that like we should maybe adjust our expectations to say that this team is maybe not as elite as we thought it was in some ways or has maybe some some holes in it that we thought it didn't or had some coaching problems that we were we weren't aware of. But all of those things can be true and Georgia could still win 11 games this year. Shit, Georgia could I mean like it's not likely, I don't think, but like you should not be laughed out of the room for saying that Georgia could go to the college football playoff. If this team gets hot and just starts destroying people, and we're going into the SEC championship having beat Auburn, Texas A&M, Florida by, you know, 10 to 15 points each, especially the Auburn and the Florida games. Like, no one's going to be laughing at us. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, certainly, mm-hmm. I think that the the opposite outcome where we kind of like crap the season away for various dumb reasons is also possible. But that's like, I think I think this what we're running into is this idea that like, because we live in like, and and I, what I'm about to say is going to sound like some weird like social criticism, but it's not. It's not. Uh-huh. It really has more to do with how we tell narratives. We tell narratives in the context of like morality plays. Everybody in in the Western canon, everybody who has read Western literature, tells narratives like they are like deeply conservative Christian people living in the late medieval age, right? And what that means is that we believe that people receive their just comeuppance from God. And we we believe this subconsciously because that's how we tell stories, right? When we have someone go high, we like to see them come low. We think the hubris will be punished. We think that the meek will inherit the earth. I'm not saying that any of these philosophical concepts are good or bad. What I'm saying is that those ideas are so core to the foundation of the way that we tell stories in English, period. Because when we invented the concept of English literature, everyone who was, who was writing was versed in those stories like the first modern literature pieces some of the first ones that we have in the modern canon if we, if we consider the modern canon to be like post-medieval or whatever are morality tales and we always tell stories like that and because narratives influence how we think we love the narratives of the good man who's fallen low we love the narrative of the man in the hole who climbs out of the hole 
right? These are two of the most foundational stories to the way human, humans everywhere think, and certainly to a canon influenced by Judeo-Christian ethic, right? And we are allowing that thought process to color how we think of these two teams, right? And that's the problem. That's the problem with the way we think about football in general. And I would say the way we think about life in general, right? Sometimes stupid things happen and they just don't have anything else to do with the rest of what happens in your life. And that sucks that we can't explain it away. It does, but we can't. And if you want to explain it away by some higher theological purpose, I'm fine with that, right? But inside of the uh, inside of the circumstances that we can make objective and that we can control and we can make predictions about, there's nothing we can do about what happened against South Carolina. And the only thing that we're doing is we're letting us we're letting us make we're letting that game make us worse football fans every time that we think that Georgia is worse worse than it is or better than it is. And that's Nathan ranting about the cannon. Next. I don't even know where we are right now. I'm so, I'm so outside. I'm so I'm so just like outside of my head right now, man. I got you. I don't even know so, what I'm doing. Hit me with some things that you don't want to see. What are some things that puts Florida on top and ensures more uh, things lean in, in, in Florida's direction? What, are, what things are going to happen in I that mean, in case? Well, one is to get set into a predicted pa- a, a very predictable pattern of offensive play. Right. If we can't run, if we can't run successful plays on first and second down, we could very well lose this game just from that. Now, I think for us to lose based on our first and second down performance, it would have to be really bad, like South Carolina bad. But I suppose that that is like within the realm of possibility. Right. I also think if Florida is able to hit on some turnovers, if we have another like high turnover, like high bad turnover luck day where we're giving up like 11 point, uh, 11 points to turnover luck, if we have another day where we give up 11 points to bad turnover luck, then there's a pretty good chance that we're going to lose, right? That's true every day, but I think it's in particular true of, you know, a Florida team that has been really good at being opportunistic and converting converting turnovers when they get them and, you know, springing big plays and has just kind of a knack for like clutch or whatever. I don't really think clutch is a thing, but I do think that this, this Florida team has been pretty good at like taking advantage of the opportunities that it has, right? So that's, that's one thing. I also think, you know, Jake Fromm can't, doesn't have to be the best he's ever been but he can't be the worst he's ever been. If we just yeah. have an average, a career average Jake Fromm game, we'll, we will probably win. I don't know if he's capable of doing that. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's in his own head. I don't know what you said. I don't know what's true about the last two games. Some of it may be the position he's been put in. Some of it may be just, you know, dumb, bad luck. He might be in his own head. He might be psyched out, whatever. He can't play like that again if, we, if we're going to win this game. I don't think yeah. it's likely that he will because that those last two performances, especially South Carolina, were so aberrant from his norm. But at the end of the day, like that, those are those those three things cannot happen. We we cannot have be unsuccessful in first and second down. We cannot let them, you know, get two or three turnovers. And Jake Fromm cannot be historically bad. Jake Fromm can be like bullshit. People call him uh, game manager Jake Fromm, but at the end of the day, that's not that you know we can still win with that we cannot win with like mm-hmm. three turnover two turnover no touchdown jig from you kind of already touched on the the inverse of that is the things we want to see is we want to see this georgia team get back to kind of what they were doing um maybe giving a little bit more trust to jake Fromm and doing what what he wants to do and what he sees and what he needs to be playing is uh, some some narratives being thrown around right now are jake Fromm is being limited and i'm kind of curious to see or hear if you have anything in stats that might tell that story or tell the opposite of that story in this moment? Is that something that we need to look out for? Is that Jake Fromm's getting to do what he wants or is he doing what he wants? And it's just a matter of he's being overruled. 
Yeah, that's the thing is like the only the biggest difference between last year's offense and this year's offense is explosiveness. And we know that explosiveness can be is something that can be luck. It can be based on just like, you know, how how many shoestring tackles do you spring, etc. But I so I don't know that he's being limited. I do wonder if he has limited himself or or there's been a, a higher emphasis placed on not turning over the ball and that has had the inverse effect of just making him play tighter. I think he's holding the ball a little too long right now, or he has the last two games. And I understand why that was the case against Kentucky, but against South Carolina, it's kind of un it's it there's kind of nothing that makes sense with what he's doing. So sometimes you just have to mail it, man. Like that's just how this yeah. game works. Like you can't always throw a 70% ball. You have to throw a 40% ball sometimes. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. When this game starts on Saturday at 3:30, Georgia has the ball, or or Georgia's, you know, Florida has the ball. Either way, what is something that while we're watching and we see it kind of start to unfold. What is something that we will watch and see and maybe give us a little bit of confidence that things might be going in a different direction than they have the last couple of games? Is there anything that we can look out for specifically, you think? I mean, if Jake Fromm just looks on, like, we might blow these guys out. Like, I don't think we're going to mm-hmm. blow these guys out. Like, I, I think this is going to be a six or seven point game. But, like, if Jake Fromm comes out and just, like, leads three touchdowns, like, uh, if Jake Fromm puts pressure on Kyle Trask to come back from behind, and just leads three consecutive touchdown drives. I I mean, I, you got to feel good about that, right? I mean, yeah. if we see peak Jay Fromm in this game, which I don't know that we will just because I don't know how good his wide receiver core is or how deep it is, rather. If we see that, then goodness gracious, like they they we might <laughs> run him out of the building because I, I, I genuinely do think the best version of this of this Georgia team is like maybe like 10 points better than this Auburn or than this Florida team as opposed to seven points. And I think mm-hmm. that we could turn those 10 points into something where Kyle Trask is forced to win a game in a way that he hasn't been and makes a dumb mistake. And then we get another seven points and like, well, maybe this was actually like a, an eight point game, but it ended up looking like a 20 point game just because of some like dumb luck for Florida and stuff. But I think all of that starts with like, if Jake Fromm is really on, and I'm not just saying like hitting the normal boss that he hits, but I'm saying like, like killer playing in the sec championship, playing in the national championship, playing in the Rose Bowl, just like shredding people on, then like we got a, we got a really good chance of winning this game. And I, I, you know, who knows? He hasn't looked like that this year that much, but hey, here we are. I also think if we can just run kind of at will at the start of the game, it could be a long day for them. And I, yeah. I don't know that, like, if we really get the running game going, I don't know that that wins that we're going to, means that we're going to win by more than, like, I don't know, 10 points. But I do think it might be one of those games where we just, like, crockpot the shit out of them. And we just, like, mm-hmm. it's, we're up by nine points most of the game. And every time they score, we just take the ball and run it up the middle eight times and then score. Because the thing about Georgia is when that's not working, it's really frustrating and they can lose to South Carolina. When that is working, they can beat anyone. When Georgia's getting eight or nine yards on you with like, you know, inside zone, you're kind of fucked. Right. Because then, then the rest of the offense just makes total sense. Right. The problem is when they're not doing that. And so like, what I'm looking for is like if we have success, if our if we have plan A success, like they got they it's gonna be a problem for them. It's gonna be a real problem because this is the Georgia this just Georgia team, you want them on plan B or C, right? You want them improvising, you want them trying to do stuff they're not comfortable with. But if you don't make this team not comfortable, you're you're gonna lose. Um, I think the third is just if we come out and we just look creative on offense, then I will be able to judge these two teams in a vacuum by their stats, and then I would say that we should win pretty easily. Right, because I think the one thing that's holding me back is that we have not looked creative on offense, and I worry that it's you know that a team with a good coaching staff, and despite what we think about you know Todd Grantham and um, 
his merits or lack thereof and Dan Mullen and how much he looks like cousin Eddie or whatever, you know, they're good coaches. <laughs> right. And, but seriously, they are good coaches. So yeah, the only thing that makes me hesitant about just like predicting Georgia to win this game is that I just don't think that we've looked very creative on offense and we've also looked predictable on offense. So I think if we come out and we have some novel things to do in the first two or three drives, regardless of the results of those drives, I'll feel way better. So do you have some over-unders for me? Do you want to hit me with the first one? Yeah, I like. I, I really like this one, actually. Um, over-under 2.5 pass plays of 20-plus yards by UGA. That is interesting. Because my, my gut says that it hasn't happened. That hasn't happened at all in the last two games, right? It, has, it happened in the South Carolina game. We had maybe at least one. We had two in the South Carolina game, none in the last game. Okay. But it, it, it happened, I think, in the previous five games. In my mind, if we do get the run game started, this 100% happens easily. And I have a feeling that we will get the run game started, so I am going to go over for this one. You're going to say over? Yeah. I think three feels um, like a lot. But br- br- I feel, br- br- like my gut says two more so, but I'm going to go over. Yeah, the problem is I made this one too too good. <laughs> I made this I made this just too good of a question. I'm going to say over two just because I think we may hit we may hit a slip screen for like 50 yards. You know what I mean? Now, yeah. now, so it's a really different question, and I didn't ask this question because I don't have a really good way to like track this data. But the really the really good question is over under two play pass plays successful pass plays where the ball travels 20 yards in the air. Yeah. That I feel like that's, is more. That's a, that's a much. That's a much different question. That is less likely to me than being outside of the red zone and scoring a touchdown by separation of a receiver. If that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. this Florida team is really good at defending against teams in their forty yards, um, and so I, I think it's less likely that we score these plays by just 20 yards like 20 yards through the air i think it's more likely that we hit somebody in some broken coverage and we we you know one of the receivers runs enough to actually score the touchdown you know outside of that 40 yard uh this one is kind of a dig and i apologize in advance but it is kind of it's one of those things that if we're watching it it's kind of indicative of what our offense is up to uh over under one and a half toss sweeps i mean under (laughs) The t- is the toss sweep dead, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I'm. You're a sucker if you pick over on this. I mean, I'm gonna pick over just to say it. We'll see okay. what happens. I hope you. I hope you're right, but you're not right. It's okay. <laughs> What's your next one? Uh, over under. Let's see, three UGA sacks. So the thing is, the the reason this is tricky is like, on the one hand, UGA isn't very good at causing havoc, but Florida isn't very good at preventing it. And also, like, Kyle Trask, for all of his merits, not much of a runner. <laughs> he's a big dude. No. I mean, he, he he's a pretty good, like, short space runner, but he's not going to, like, scat back away from you. He can, he can move the pocket pretty well, but he has taken some sacks, especially from his left side this year. So, I don't know. I mean, I, th- this one is, like, genuine. This one's hard for me. That's a lot of sacks, I feel. Especially for this Georgia team. Like, we like to, yeah. to cover. See, yeah, and that, and that is. That is a lot of sacks. So, that's the thing is, like. Normally, I would just take under as as uh, let me let me adjust that to two point five. Normally, I take under like out of hand because they we just haven't had that many sacks on the year. But I I kind of feel like I'm gonna say over on this one, and that's just because I think 
I think this might be a game where just things kind of end up with us there despite our own best efforts, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like, we're, me... we're, we're not necessarily trying to get three sacks on him, but we end up just sort of like he runs into one and then he takes a, stat, a sack just because he doesn't see like a corner blitz. And then we get one like against a, I don't know, against the Wildcat or something. I don't know. It just kind of feels like one of those games where, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I'm, that that is kind of just a, a guts one on my my part. Let me try and persuade you to adjust it to two UGA sacks and I'll take the line. So at two UGA sacks, you take the over? No, I'll take, I'll say push. Like I'll say that two UGA sacks rather than under because under would be like, I get everything zero one, two. That's my compromise. You think, say, you think you it's going to be two UGA sacks. I think it's going to be two. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. We can do that. And you can take a push, even though that's like a okay. real, well, I'm not your bookie, but don't statistically don't speaking, bet. that's less likely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But I've my gut has told me wrong this year, and I want the gut to be right. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, okay. Over under rushing yards for Georgia, one hundred twenty four, and I pick, I picked one hundred twenty four specifically because that is the average yardage allowed uh, for for Florida's rushing game this year, uh, or rushing defense this year, excuse me. And so I want to see playing a team that has a an offense that that rushes first. How does Florida play against that team, especially when Stats say that their defense is not great against the rush. So where are we over under 124? Oh, man. Rushing yards, 124. Over. Over? I think we might. We could lose and still get the over. No, I I just think this might be a game where we. This might be a game where we like, even if things go really wrong, we just commit to running the ball so much that we hit 125 just by like dumb luck. Uh, I'll go. I'll go under on this because I think. I don't know. I don't know why. I just feel like it might be barely under. Like one of those where it's like just a touch. Dude, if we go under, under we're going to lose. We you go under so? 125 rushing yards. Yeah, we're going to lose. God almighty. Yeah, because their secondary is wild. Secondary is real yeah, good. Yeah, they've got a really deep, deep secondary. Yeah, that we if if we get if. OK, well, hold on. Let me. So let me go to my let me do a response over and under. I'm going to change mine. OK. Over under. Oh, I see yours. I'm sorry. Yeah, mine was mine was 200, uh, 200 rushing yards because I would I might take over on that. I might take over on two hundred honestly. Um, let's let's say over under two hundred passing yards because if we're gonna win this game and we have fewer than one hundred twenty four rushing yards, we need to have a really good day passing because I would say yeah. I would say I would say under easy on that. So I guess I gotta go over. <laughs> yeah, I mean I if, you want, on the if you if you want us to win, then yeah, you kind of do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say over. Okay. Yeah. Deal. All right. Let's hop into predictions then. Do you have a beautiful picture to paint us? Um, huh. Yeah, I do. I think the key to this game is Florida's rushing defense. And the reason I think that is because I think if if Florida cannot successfully defend the run against this Georgia team and Georgia can just play the kind of game it wants to it has very little chance of being successful on the year yards per carry wise, excluding sack rushing yards. Florida is currently 81, 81st in the nation in yards per carry against the run. Their rushing success rate. However, they are 27th in the nation at 38.6, right? On the inverse of that, Georgia is easily in the top 10 of both of those categories, eighth in yards per carry fifth in six, uh, yeah, fifth, no seventh in pass success rate. 
what's kind of weird or rush successor rather what's kind of weird to me about that is that there's a disconnect between the numbers of how good is florida on a success basis against the rush versus how good are they on a yards per carry basis so that yards per carry number could be skewed up for many things it could be skewed up by you know, that's unadjusted for uh, garbage time. That's unadjusted for, you know, long runs. Like, you know, when you have a third and 16 and you give up 14 yards, it was still technically an unsuccessful play for the defense. What I have seen of Florida is that they are very, very good on the edges of the defense. They have very good outside linebackers. They have very good uh, cornerbacks. They have pretty good safeties, but there is a drop off in depth in their inside linebackers and in their defensive linemen. And so even though I hate to say this because aesthetically, this isn't necessarily the kind of game I want to see because I want proof of concept that we can do this when we need to, that we can throw when we need to. But the kind of game I kind of expect to see is that Georgia is going to see this and yeah, they're going to come up with some wrinkles and yeah, they're going to throw. We're going to see a lot more of the playbook this week. I think we're going to see a lot more. We might not see more than 20 passes from Jake Fromm, but I think those passes are going to be in plays that we have not seen necessarily before. I further think that, you know, Georgia is going to try to get a little bit spicier with the way it runs and going against its tendencies and kind of doing the second level meta. You know, the thing we've talked about where you go to your plan B out of certain formations and motions and such. So when you add those two things up, when Georgia is going to try to run just as much as it has pass a little bit differently, but still be committed to rushing the ball. I think the real key of this game is, you know, what is, I think one of the things that'll be really interesting to see, and I'm going to actually look this up on SEC StatCat, is if, if when we run the inside zone and the inside zone read option, what is our success rate and what is our yards per attempt on those plays? Because if we are getting, I don't know, over a 60% success rate on those plays, and if we're getting, I don't know, more than five or six yards per play, Florida has very little chance of winning this game. Because Georgia is the kind of team that when you can, when you let Georgia play Georgia's game, and you're 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 dead meat. And 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 that's true for like kind of most teams, but the thing about it is like when Georgia gets to play its game, it can lean on you. And unless your name is Ohio State or Alabama, or maybe LSU, but maybe not, it has more talent than you. Georgia does. That's just objectively the fact. Right? So when you let Georgia lean on you, it's just gonna win the game most of the time. Now, I think the key to this is I think Florida's offense is good, but not great. And I don't know that Florida's offense is good enough to force Georgia to not play their game. Right. I think, I think Florida's offense is good enough to like score 20, 30 points, put some pressure on a team and come through in big clutch moments. I don't know that they're good enough to really push Georgia into a track meet. Right. So then the question is just going to be, can Georgia, can Florida's defense stymie Georgia's offense on its plan? A as good as South Carolina was at doing that. I'm not sure that Florida can. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One would be schematically that, you know, Todd Grantham has not fared very well against uh, his former team. And is, in particular, he's not fared very well against Kirby Smart. Uh, two would be that I think that Todd Grantham's proclivity for bringing pressure, even though he might bring pressure less against Jake Fromm and just make him prove it against man coverage or his own coverage. I, I just I don't know how successful um, his tendency to blitz even above a little bit above average is going to be against a team that is really good at taking advantage of the blitz right and i also don't know i don't super trust having seed todd grad having seed todd grantham's defense meltdown again and again and again over the course of a long game i just i just don't trust todd grantham's defense i really don't and i just think that 
Georgia is going to have enough success on the offensive on the offensive line, enough success running it up the middle, even though we all hate it, that Georgia is going to find itself in a game where it is not comfortably up, but winning much of the time and then putting it away late to win by nine or ten points. Georgia's six and a half point favorite. I would take I would probably take Georgia in the points in this instance. I actually think that's been bet down to like three point five. I don't know. Where did you find that? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's still six and a half per S&P plus. Well, yeah, I don't know. They're six and a half point favorite per S&P plus, but in Vegas right now, the, the line opened at five and got bet down to UGA at like minus three. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's lower. Yeah. At minus three, I would definitely take Georgia, but at minus six, I would still think about taking Georgia because I think that this might be one of those games where despite how much I find it infuriating, Kirby Smart's philosophy of just like bash your head bash your head into the team over and over until they quit might work against this team because it runs against what they want to do on defense, right? This team wants to get you thrown to the outside. They want to like get you in third down situations where you can run. They want to like put their best skill guys against your best skill guys. And when they do that, they're really successful. I I just, I don't know that they have the players on the interior, despite having one very good defensive tackle. I don't know that they have the rotation at defensive tackle to really slow Georgia down the entire game. So if you look at like the, the individual game yard per carry against power five teams. So um, Swift against Notre Dame and other power five teams. This is just Deandre Swift. He is averaging 6.4 yards per carry. Okay. So against uh, Miami, you uh florida gave up 8.55 yards per carry against uh kentucky smoke on their number one uh running back they gave up 5.06 against whitlow uh auburn they gave up 4.5 against clyde edwards hilaire against uh lsu they gave up 10.31 and against tavian feaster at usc they gave up 7.0 each one of those numbers was higher than that running backs average for the year versus power five on yards per carry does that make sense so like Mm -hmm. uh Booby Whitlow at Auburn, his average yards per carry against power five teams is 4.41. He hit 4.5 against Auburn. Uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire's average yards per carry against power five teams was 6.43, and he hit 10.31 against LSU or against uh, Florida. Uh, Tavian Feaster, his average yards per carry against power five teams is 5.35, and he hit 7.0 against USC or, or against Florida while playing for USC. You see what I'm saying? So, very good number one running backs are averaging over their average yards per carry against power five teams this year when they play Florida. If DeAndre Swift averages a <laughs> yard and a half more than his average for the year, if DeAndre Swift averages eight yards a carry against Florida, we are going to win running, well, not running away, but comfortably. Because if we, if DeAndre Swift is doing that, we are running the ball with impunity. Because if DeAndre Swift is doing that, that means that that trickles down to everybody. If DeAndre Swift is just breaking runs off left and right and left and right, and there's more and more dudes come in, and we start getting them to run against tendencies, and we start training their off their defense to go the direction we want them to, they are playing our game. And I think the problem that they have is the thing that they are bad at on defense, or at least not bad at, but the thing that they let happen on defense is the thing that we want to do. And so I actually think this is going to be a cover. I don't think it's going to be comfortable. I don't think it's going to feel good. I don't think it's going to be 37-16. But I think we can pa- I think we can get more than a touchdown up on these guys. Um so my prediction ultimately is going to be that this is like a what does this feel like? I think this feels like 27-17. And I think it's going to be one of those games 
where like a lot of the it's it's like i think it's gonna be like 20 to 10 for a lot of the game and then it gets down to 20 you know 20 to 17 sometime in the third quarter and then we score like the decisive touchdown when we just like take it at the beginning of the fourth quarter just run it up the gut like eight times so yeah 27 17 is what this feels like to me I don't think that our offense is in a good enough place to score like 30, 40 points right now, but I think our defense is playing very well. And I also just think that we can make this be the game that we want it to be, if that makes sense. Now that I'm thinking about it, I actually think they're going to score more than that. I think it might be more like 34, 24. Same margin of victory, but I just think there might be one more touchdown in there for them. I'm not sure that our defense is as good as we think it is. 34, 24. Same idea, though. I think our I think our defense is still really good, but they I think that yeah. Florida's offense is better than the eye test uh-huh. says it is. Florida's a confusing team to say the very least. This is a team, yeah. Th- th- this is a team that I've always seen and thought, man, that defense is really good, and it is really good. It's a great defensive uh, team, and then they have a great uh, playbook and great schemes and everything, and they're 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 doing everything they need to be doing as they see it. But numbers say otherwise, and the numbers against this Georgia team's offense have me feeling a lot better than I did going into this before talking about the stats. And I I feel the same way about the offense. This Florida offense is actually a lot better than the stats would or not the stats would say otherwise than the eye test would say otherwise. And so I think you're right in saying that this, this Florida team is going to score a little bit more on us. And that's going to make a lot of Georgia fans uncomfortable as these last couple games have, because that we're coming off those games. If we weren't coming off those games, we would see this game and say, Oh, it was a top 10 matchup. No big deal. But the fact that we're coming off these last two games, we're going to all think uh, Georgia still hasn't proven much because it's going to be a close game and people are going to forget and they're not going to pay as much attention as they need to to the fact that this is a top 10 matchup. And it's a big deal. This is a top 10 matchup. The only team that's beaten this Florida team is the number one team in the nation right now by the AP poll, which is huge. That's great. Yeah. If we're able to beat this team, that's going to prove a lot for this Georgia team. We're going to be able to come back a lot in the nation's eyes, which I'm very excited about. I hope that it goes that way. Speaking selfishly i need that i need this <laughs> you, re- you need this for yourself <laughs> i need this for myself my dog ate poison this weekend can i have one yeah yeah can, can, <laughs> can you I just, just get have one? one yeah can i just get one i mean i think it's gonna be a close game i've seen a lot of really really great football this season i really enjoyed the uh lsu florida game that was awesome the uh, there have been so many games that were so close that were so much fun to watch. And I just want this to be a game like that. I don't want this to be a game where I watch and say, why aren't they doing this? Or why are they doing this wrong? Or why are they still doing the same thing that we saw the last two weeks when we could have blamed the rain for it? And now it's obviously a play calling problem. I don't want to see that. I just want this to be good, a good game of football. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that too much to ask for? Um, with all that being said, though, I haven't really given you a hot, whole lot of hot, hot stats off the top of my dome but that's because you've done a, a beautiful job of painting this picture and i don't think there's much more i can say on it but with all that being said i think this is a game where we're seeing maybe i will take georgia 24 to florida's 21 okay thank you for taking 10 years off of my life just by literally saying that score i'll also say that if we like the things i'm going to do to my body that night if we win by three points just out of relief uh-huh. like you know don't even so, mistake me don't, i'm not even talking about like substance abuse i'm talking about like aztec cleansing rituals and like <laughs> go going on top of like ziggurats and like praying to the gods and like sacrificing the fatted calf and like finding the the the, the cretan bull 
and like killing the Stygian birds and then like slay de- slaying the Lyrnian Hydra. It's going to go, it's going to get weird if we win by three points because there is nothing I will not do to show like gratitude to the universe if we win that game by three points. <laughs> Let's get into one of our favorite segments of the show. <laughs> Sometimes I hear Nathan talk and I'm like, you know what? That doesn't really need a response. Not that it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't deserve one. It's just that I think it stands on its own. Anyway. Let's get into one of our favorite segments of the show. It's Ask CBC. If you want to hear your questions asked on the show and answered on the show, then make sure you hashtag all of your responses with hashtag AskCBC or send them to us by a regular old snail mail at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com or Facebook or just yell them at Nathan whenever you see him around. Yeah. The first one comes in from Irk Russell. Bama and LSU are scoring all the points. Why would we hold back? I don't think we are. I mean, it's it's a philosophy thing. And until mm-hmm. and until he figures that out, you know, he's not gonna it's not gonna change. Disney Dog. Nathan, what time is Redcoats warming up in the stadium? Uh what time are the Redcoats warming up in the stadium? We will enter the stadium at approximately one o'clock via gate four. We'll have sectionals in the South Plaza until about one forty five, ensemble at one forty five until two fifteen. So between like one and two fifteen, basically. Well, wow, that, that's the most precise, quick answer I've given to that. <laughs> is the, the Vegas line, the Georgia winning at six and a half points, is that realistic? Yes. I think like, so. Too. I mean, I hope so, because I just said I just I just said something over the six and a half points. <laughs> Next question comes in from Joe Tereshinsky, the eighth. Assuming that Kirby is following the Saban head coaching model, it took Saban seven to eight years to at least publicly give up his resistance to fast, dynamic, non-man ball offense and hand the offense over to a coordinator who embraces that style. Does Kirby make this transition quicker? Does it look like he's on the same pace or does it look like he may not make this transition at all? I think he'll make the transition eventually because I think we'll lose a game. We'll lose more than just a South Carolina game. We'll lose a game that matters because of that. And also that non-man ball offense, I feel, is something that's only made its way out of like the big 12 pac 12 uh all those different conferences until the last couple of years like it's it's only started to gain its kind of respect that like ohio state has kind of garnered and oklahoma has kind of garnered because they've gone to the playoffs as many times as they have at this point so i think that it's something that'll happen a lot quicker than right. it has in the past yeah second question it's actually a question that's it's kind of asked by a few different people uh, Joe Tereshinsky, the eighth, asks best cocktail party story you can share without incriminating anyone. And I'm also going to lob this together with best interaction with a Florida fan. That's from Abby. Okay, so again, best cocktail story I can tell people. That's a that's a real narrow window. So let me think about this. <laughs> okay, like I won't even say the ones that I can't tell people while I'm recording because I don't want them to be on tape. I worry yeah. about saying them into a microphone because I don't want the NSA to know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, my favorite cocktail stories are honestly like, and these are my actual favorites, not even my, my filtered favorites are that, you know, this happens a lot in St. Augustine just in general is that people go down to the seawall of the Castillo de San Marcos, which is the big fort there right on the drag of St. Augustine. And it's night and you go down to the seawall and like, it's not even anything untoward happening. It's just like, you're sitting out on the seawall looking at the lights over on the island across the bay or whatever and you can you can hear the waves come in and just the number of memories i've made of just like sitting out there and looking at the stars and just like talking to people like the number of times where like that that interaction has just gotten like really real and like people have talked about things that really matter to them and you know you've had the you i think one of the the coolest thing about the cocktail party is that the cocktail party uh, is from beginning to end 
the just most ethically bankrupt event to ever <laughs> to ever be held right i mean it's just that it, it's a bacchanalia it has no claim to like immortal or intellectual certitude and yet some of the most meaningful emotional moments that I've ever had around other humans have happened on that trip and and you know what a lot of those stone cold sober right because you just get down there and you're just in a different place and you're there with all your friends and you just start talking and and i mean i think the value of the 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 florida georgia game at least to me as a former red coat has really nothing to do with the libations or whatever whatever did or did not happen that doesn't really matter what matters is the connections you make with people and like going out for dinner and the pictures you take that you remember 15 years later right those are the things i remember it's not all the stupid stuff we did it's all the it's like talking about our girlfriends and like you know, I remember talking to Ethan, my like high school or like one of my oldest friends who I knew since like third grade. And then there's my college roommate all the way through. I remember I remember sitting on the seawall and telling Ethan, like, I'm going to marry my girlfriend who I'm now married to. You know what I mean? Like, I remember mm-hmm. sitting, I remember laying on the seawall and talking to Christina Swoop about how, like, I thought that she could really like make this world a better place and that I could help her do it in maybe a smaller way. And now, you know, she has worked at the White House under the Obama administration and is like a great public health policy person. And like, I am doing something I think that contributes to humanity as well. And so it's like, it's a place where people have a moment to like be self-reflective about who they are. And even though it comes in like a really dumb time, you know, and it's surrounded by the trappings of like a freaking like Nero style party or whatever. And I just mean the cocktail party writ large really is like that. Like, I think that there's really a lot of like really good, fun connections that are made down there. And yeah, sure. Maybe you're making connections with someone because a Florida fan just threw like a whole stadium bottle of bourbon at you, but you're still making those connections. John Powell asks, UGA's defense elite? Mm, yeah, yes. I mean, I think at this point, if you have a top five defense, like you're elite, right? Like, it's elite. Yeah. I mean, and you, top yeah, 10 defenses are elite, really. Yeah, yeah. And and whether or not we think that's for real, like they are what they are right now. And I think they're going to prove to be pretty solid against this Florida team still. And I think a lot of defenses kind of look really good against this Florida team, which is why our initial eye test is that this, George, this, this Florida team's pretty one-dimensional as far as offense goes. And so I think that this Georgia team will will do okay against them at the very least. Gator hater, should we be concerned about Kirby's lack of concern of our offense? And this is probably referring to all of his talk and press conferences and the uh, conferences following the last couple of games about how he's just not worried about it. No, we should not be concerned because he actually is worried about it because have you seen that man on the sideline? He's very concerned. Have you seen, I mean, like read his lips once ever. <laughs> I think that Kirby also kind of subscribes to that old, uh, pretty traditional form of leadership where he doesn't speak poorly of his staff or his program because when your leader begins to do that, then that's when things actually go south. Uh, Dizzy Dog, is Lawrence Cager actually going to play this week or is Kirby giving me hope? I mean, yeah, he's back. She, he's back from the dead. Baby. He's back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite tweets of the week. There's a, Those of you that haven't seen it, there is a tweet. I retweeted on my own uh, personal Twitter. Uh, Lawrence Cager just tweeted without any quote. Um, an under it's Undertaker from WWF just popping out of his coffin and like looking around, and the eyes roll back in his head, uh, and he's ready to wrestle. So yes, he is back, which makes me really happy because we really need him. Yes, we really do. Uh, Bank, what's the best advice anyone's ever given you, and worst? 
The best advice anyone has ever given me is when Manning Kent at band practice, see what I'm saying with real connections, Manning Kent at band practice mm-hmm. when I was really angry at someone who had done wrong by my wife or my girlfriend at the time, really, really wronged her in a really visceral way that is not really my story to tell, but it was really messed up, told me that like, you know, you need to forgive this person. And I was like, no, I'm actually going to like get a bunch of my friends and I'm going to go beat him with an axe handle and then, then I'll feel better about it. And he was like, you know... <laughs> When you forgive someone, you're not telling them that you're not you're not telling them that you are okay with it. You're saying like I don't owe you anything anymore. And it really taught me how valuable forgiving people as a way of saying that like like you know, we don't need to interact anymore. Like we don't have we like mm-hmm. forgiveness is like in itself sort of like uh, a really freeing powerful thing. And it's not it's not an act of submission or an act of contrition. It's an act of like absolvement my best advice is still something i come back to all the time and it's a framed email from justin mcelroy of uh mcelroy fame my brother my brother me my my wife last year two years ago at this point actually sorry right when this show was taking off and i was having a really hard time in past jobs she emailed all of the brothers from the mcelroy shows uh trying to get a response from them to kind of write me some advice and so that email is printed out it doesn't look fancy it's just a gmail printout and it's framed right above my desk and it has been since then and there's something that i always come back to in that email because all of it's good but my my favorite part is still don't quit your day job don't go broke but when you have when you drive home at night look sincerely into your heart and your checkbook and ask yourself what do i have left in the tank then throw that energy into the thing that will make other people and yourself happy and that's that's more or less the theme of the entire email but that's something I think about all the time when I when I am feeling down, when I feel like I can't start when I'm driving home and I've had a terrible day or I just don't think there's much else I can do. I think, what else do I actually have left and how can that help both me and other people? Because something that I feel like we forget a lot is that when we try to be selfless, we think about other people, but we don't realize that other people are sometimes ourselves too in that same situation. What's the worst advice? Probably like, I mean, honestly, like the worst advice I've ever gotten was like when people and this is not from one particular person, but when people told me that like, hey, like, you know, relationships in high school, like they're not real. And like, you know, they oftentimes they don't work and like you shouldn't put all your hopes in it and like don't say I love you too early. And now I think back to that and I'm like, that's fucking bullshit, man. Every relationship (laughs) is real. Every relationship has meaning to you, no matter how like trivial it seems at the time every relationship you have is a part of who you are as you move forward in your life and any attempt to sort of like be cynical from the outset about any connection that you make in this fleeting life of ours anytime where like the spark in you reaches out and touches a spark in somebody else no matter how like shallow or farcical that spark seems to be it has meaning to it you know what i mean like relationships matter and that and like if anyone ever tells you that any of your relationships don't, they're they're lying or they're trying to sell you something. Uh, worst advice I've probably ever gotten has to do with like that idea that's like put your head down and ignore everything else until you have the money and the resources and the means to do what you want to do. And the reason why I think that's bad advice is because you can always do things that are important and what you value and what you want to do without having to put stock in the things that people tell you are important. Yeah, because what's that? What that's what that's saying is that like you can only do important things when you have money, which when is you have bullshit. Money. Exactly. Uh, okay, now that we've gotten real deep, <laughs> let's go back. 
uh, a Becca moment. Next question is Chop Away Bowl distribution. Overrated, underrated. Kyle Trask. Uh, I would say properly rated. Pretty middle of the road, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's nearly as bad as Felipe Franks. I think it was a bad system for Felipe Franks. I don't yeah. like to speak poorly of, of students, but yeah, I think it was a bad system for him. Inexperienced wide receiver holding back offense. I will say that's overrated, as in like I don't know that that's the case. Play calling criticism. Mm, probably underrated. Probably needs to be a little more of that in some places. World largest outdoor cocktail party being played in Jacksonville. I want to know what you think about that. Overrated, underrated. Eh, I'm tired of it being in Jacksonville, to be honest. I think it would be a lot more meaningful if it was back and forth. I, but it's going to be in Jacksonville until 2023. I think it's properly rated, but I think what's really overrated is the idea they're going to move it. They're not going to move it. Todd Perry, how do I maximize my hate for this week? All right, the key to maximizing your hate for Florida is that you can't go too hard too early. Maximizing your hate for Florida is a marathon. So you want to get like Friday going into St. Augustine, you want to be at like 65, 70%. If you see a Florida fan on the street, like you might give them a weird look or you might like say something that something said to you, but you're not looking to cause anything, right? You're never looking to cause anything. That's the key. Because like, if you're looking to cause something, that means you're doing something too hard before you get to the game. You need to like prep your emotional reserves to be at a hundred percent from like kickoff to the last whistle, right? So that means like, don't go too hard, right? You're going to really want to go too hard as soon as you get to Jacksonville and you see Florida fans. Don't go too hard. Just hold it in. And you got to ramp it up. You got to ramp it up because what 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 scares people is not people who are yelling the whole time. What scares them is that is when you make a conscious decision to think, okay, now is the moment when this normal person is going to go ape shit. And the only way to really pull that off with like any kind of like crispness visually is to really be controlled all the way up to that moment so you're 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 not really trying to like you're not trying to like be like wrestling pro you're really much more going for like wayne from letter kenny right that's that's what you're gonna go for <laughs> like nothing until you start a fist fight don't start a fist fight but i'm saying like like nothing until you decide and everyone when you decide needs to see you decide like a visual tick like your body changes when you decide to get to 100%. You lean forward in your chair, whatever, right? That's that's how you that's how you hate Florida with the maximal efficiency. It's like hating Florida when they're down in their swamp and we're up in this nice city that we call home doesn't mean anything to them because they're just down there like I don't know, press drying their hair and putting <laughs> putting highlights in or whatever, right? Talking about like hair pomades, whatever. So it doesn't help. These them, are Florida right? things. Yeah, I don't know. They're doing Florida shit like cocaine. I, pff, I don't know. You, you tell me liking bad movies. Probably they think they think Scarface is <laughs> I think most people in Florida think Scarface is good for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Not because it's the tale of like the death of the American dream, but because it's like some kind of laudable thing. Like, can we vote for him for governor? Whatever. Oh, man, we, we really missed an opportunity to do like a whole Florida man segment. But that's for another year, I guess. No, uh, we don't need to. We don't need to do Florida man. Like, though, if you want to see Florida man, just go to the Florida game. <laughs> Those, no, no, no. They make fun of themselves. I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to do it for them. Jesus Christ. And like, Nathan, <laughs> see, this is what I'm saying. You, you got to hold yourself back. You got to be composed. You got to be composed. 65%. Uh, so let's see. Least favorite is Tim Tebow. And here's why. I have a new reason that I hate Tim Tebow. Did you know that Tim Tebow okay. did the Jesus pose when he was in the ESPN, the magazine cover? He posed. Oh boy. He, like he, in like a crucifix pose. Oh dear. Did you know? I mean, no, it's like, I don't. This is that is the most University of Florida thing I can think of because like it 
like, look, everybody knows there's a big segment of Georgia fans that are kind of holier than thou, and that's fine. It annoys me too. That's fine. If you're going to be holier than thou, you got it. Like, the worst thing you can do is to be internally inconsistent. And a lot of Georgia fans are like that. But maybe the person that Florida fans have in past literally referred to as Jesus should try to be ethically consistent, which he's not. All right. So that's the show. You want to see us out? Yeah. <clears throat> this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, you can do three things for us because you love us, I hope. Uh, one, <laughs> one, you can give us a, a rating and review on Apple Music, uh, Spotify, or your you know, podcastier of choice. Two, you can hit us up over at Patreon if you want to join our growing and I would say, I would dare say burgeoning community. Or you can listen to us record live and you can get all of the things I would say I have said on this podcast that would normally get me in trouble, but that we added out. Three, if you really love us, you can rock our merch because our merch is dope. So you can go over to Etsy and search Chapel Bell Curve, or you can look at any of our social media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Chapel Bell Curve. You can also send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. I will catch you in the city that sometimes sleeps and is on a bay. I don't know what Jacksonville city name is. Uh, oh, no, no, let me rephrase. I, I'll, I'll catch you this weekend in Duval. Uh, and I assume that Justin will catch you in the classic city, but I sure um, will. Yeah. But until then, go dogs. Go dogs.